Episode four of Dinner in a Podcast. This time around, I talked to Sean Desay, mixed martial artist, kickboxer, purple belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, entrepreneur, husband, father. Sean encapsulates the warrior spirit. And for the next 90 minutes, you're going to hear a very captivating story of a refugee from Kurdistan turned into manager of UFC fighter Kevin Lee. It's Dinner in a Podcast, episode four. Gentleman. There are no happy endings to a life of crime, O'Brien. Dinner in a podcast, hosted by EOB at 1045SNX.com. Down a flight of stairs next to a subway entrance. You're taking your jacket off, you're being casual. I am. That's how I roll. This isn't a restaurant, and this is no ordinary meal. You know, when I'm having people for dinner, I just hate not to be with them practically all the time. Vegas, actually. So, uh, it was pretty cool. I, I, I walked into this gym, and... This gym is like built like I've never seen. It was like a total sport. I mean, it's 2006 when I got there. It was mid July, burning hot. Right. right. I mean, burning hot. Actually, let me back up. The way I, the way I found this gym, my I, so I left San Diego. So I, I helped build a, a Undisputed, which is like one of the biggest MMA gyms that I ever started in uh, San Diego. So, so how did? Like, how did that all happen? You know, because... So how did all this... Well, so, like, the reason I was excited to, like, just... Number one, because we never get to hang out. Number two, Ken told me some crazy-ass stories from the other day you guys went out while I was out of town that week. Oh, uh, at Hopcat or Yeah, like, so... You... How do... Why do you guys decide to leave? Your parents, why did they decide to come here and like how oh, the United States? Yeah, like what you know. Oh, you want to go that far? Back. Well, I mean, because yeah. that to me, that's. Do so you want me to just give you like a, a whole life story in a nutshell? Yeah, why not? Because right, cool. that that seems to be, for me, that that seems to build who you are. Sure. Who you are today, yeah. and and when people meet you, myself, for sure. When I first met you, you just know that there's something different about you. Yeah. You're just you're wired in a different way. You look I'm at the world. <laughs> yes, right. There's that. But it, no, no, no. Like. You're a, you're a guy who, you know, before we get to this gym in San Diego and before we get to this gym in Vegas, you're a guy who's wired to be an entrepreneur. And I, I'm interested in those sorts of mindsets and how, you know, what makes you like that and what makes you... The fighting could be cultural, right? But... The, Remember you were, was it you that was talking about the... Or was it Joe Rogan, the whole DNA and, like, what they found mm-hmm. in, in... That was him. Yeah, 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 yeah. That wasn't us. I thought it was us. Well, we were talking about... Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I totally believe in that, man. Like, 100%. Okay, so... All right. I'll back up. Like, my father's story is exactly like the original Red Dawn. Guys in high... <laughs> no, seriously. Guys in high school... You know, my father's in high school. In high school in, in Kurdistan, uh, the northern part of Iraq, is like, like you're, you're bred to be a man. Here we go. And like, you got to wear a suit. You, you, you can't wear a t-shirt and jeans. You always got to, you have to wear a dress shirt. Not full on suit, but sure. you know, slacks and a dress shirt. You know, like, like a, a, a private, private school, school here. Right. Yeah. yeah. And basically, you know, he was, uh, and their high school there is very, very uh, equivalent to college. And... And the way he described it, it was literally like the scene where the Russians invaded that high school and they all fled, you know, and they, my dad and everyone, his peers and his, his schoolmates and, and colleagues and all they just literally ran in the mountains, you know, to hide out. And for people that don't know that, that area of Kurdistan, uh, the mountain regions are, are snow caps year round, mm-hmm. you know, it's beautiful. Like the Himalayas die out there. 
Gotcha. You okay. Know? So yep. it's like you got 13,000 feet elevation mountains all the time. And the mountains actually separate certain regions. Like when I went back there uh, two, two and a half years ago, uh, my uncle was like, yeah, over that mountain right there. He goes, you see that little open valley? I'm like, yeah. He goes, that's uh, Iran. And I was like, oh, right, right there? He's like, yeah, that's Iran. And I'm like, that's Turkey over there. And I'm wow. Like, wow. Like, we're so mixed in right there. And the reason why it was, it's such a hot spot, literally, is because the petroleum and the oil that's in the ground. I've never seen a place. You can go to Google Earth and, and you know, get a map and go to, uh, uh, what city? Uh, my father was from that city. Um, slipping my mind. Anyways, when you look at these uh, images, and they're live images, you'll just see spontaneous bursts of flame just poof, come out of the ground. And you're like, wow. what is that? And, you, and then from the, the satellite bird's eye view, you see black smoke. And But if you look really close, you'll see like the flame part. Yeah. Flame. And he's like, oh, it's petroleum. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, when it gets too hot, their, their days gets up like 127, 130, it ignites. And I'm, like, I'm like, what do you mean ignite? Like, spontaneous combustion, boom. And I'm like, you're kidding. So like oil and petroleum just burns to the ground like that. And he's like, yeah, all the time. So can you imagine? Right. It, it burns free, like just, right. you know, you so, go to Hawaii, you think waterfalls are beautiful. Right. You go over there, you got oil right. falls, you know? So <laughs> it's amazing. Anyways, um, so, so that was, I, I forget what year that was. And so my dad, you know, fled and not too many people were going through good education schools, but, but he was able to, you know, uh, learn different languages. Most men who finish good education there speak multiple languages. I think my dad spoke like five languages. My father-in-law speaks four or five languages. So, um, you know, he enlisted and he joined the, uh, the you know, like the rebel resistance. Sure. You know? So he's, uh, he's pretty much, you know, fighting. And we were getting aid from uh, that time. I believe it was from Russia. Russia and then Iran kicked in. Anyways, the Cold War and all that, that nonsense. But the main reason why we came to the States is because Saddam started to get way too, too powerful. Okay. And there's a huge massacre that he did on a city called Halabja, and he genocide. I mean, he used chemical warfare, and he bombed. And I would say 22 minutes, I want to, I don't know, uh, 200, maybe 500. It, it was 200,000 Kurds died literally in like 30 minutes Wow! in one city. And uh, that was like 1980, 88 or 86. It was 86. So you're how old then at that point? Um... Well, that was in the 80s when that happened. Uh, so I was in the third grade, eight or nine years old when that happened. Wow. Uh, I was young, third grade, whatever that was. I was in Texas, I believe. So, but anyway, so in 1976, I was born in 75. 1976, we come to the States through Frankfurt, Germany. We get to the States, we're in New York. And um, there was a, a Christian family that uh, did a lot of sponsorships with refugees. And, uh, you know, they kind of like spread you across the whole map of the U.S. So my dad uh, found a, a job and a family that was going to help us out in this church group through uh, Fargo, North Dakota. So we come out of Kurdistan, northern Iraq, into Fargo, North Dakota. <laughs> but the good thing was I didn't have any memories back of home. So right. my first childhood memories, like the first thing I really remember of anything is Fargo, North Dakota. So... 
I mean, it's almost as American as being grown, being raised in Kansas, I guess. So Fargo is kind of weird. Yeah, yeah sure. Fargo is a trip. And uh, I remember, you know, the big farm fields and I remember the crazy snow days and, and stuff like that. But the thing I remember most was I knew there was something different because at home, I'm, I'm speaking like a language that that was very natural and easy for me. And sure. then I would go to this building which was, you know, kindergarten. Right. I didn't know. I don't know what kindergarten. I don't know anything. I really don't. I just know that the carrots grow out of the ground, and I pull them out of the ground, and I'll eat them raw. That's all I knew back then. <laughs> and I would go to this building, and I noticed everyone spoke totally different, and I did not understand a word was going on. I just knew that there would be a certain time of the day where they bought food, and there would be a certain time <laughs> of the day where all these cool kids had, like, nice padded mats to take naps on, and yep. I just slept on a towel. I didn't have a mat. I, I didn't know. I, and I went to my mom and I, I said, hey, I need to get one of these masks because all the other kids have them and I don't. There's no, um, I didn't know how to translate the word, you know, the, the, this cushion. Right. I didn't know how to, you know, because in kindergarten, that's a big word, cushion. But, right. You know, you can't say, I'm trying to explain to my mom, I need one of those because I'm the only kid that doesn't have it. And of course, you know foreign parents like you don't need it right Just sleep on the ground we've been sleeping on the ground as, as adults all our lives we use rocks for pillows right. you know and i'm like okay <laughs> so you know so it was a really trip and, and it was very difficult because i remember uh, in my head I, I thought that i had to almost like drop one language to learn the other i didn't know i could keep both so apparently i i lost my i was fluent in farsi from what my mom told me She's like, yeah, I used to speak Farsi and Kurdish with no problem. And then I'll, apparently I just stopped speaking Farsi because I was, I guess I was trying to learn English. Wow. Yeah. And then... So what, your parents spoke Kurdish or... Kurdish. Gotcha. Yeah. <clears throat> so how how did you learn Farsi? Just because your dad was... It's very similar. Yeah. You know, we use the same alphabet, same letters. Um, and before we got to Germany, we had to go through Iran. Actually, I was, I'm, I was born in Kurdistan, but I was... My family are from northern Iraq. I was, when we left, I was actually born in, in Iran, the Iran side of Kurdistan. So oh. I'm actually, I've got, I got like this weird dual citizenship. If I wanted to claim Iranian, I can't. Rather not. Right. <laughs> just At this saying, point, right, you know. yeah. But uh, it's, it's it, they just, it's funny. It's like when uh, uh, a, a guy from Brooklyn meets a guy from Alabama. It's still English, but they're not going <laughs> right. to understand each yeah. other, you know? So it's kind of like that. So... Yeah, so there we are. We're in uh, we're in Fargo, and and I'm trying to learn and understand certain things. And I remember like weird things, like on Fourth of July, it would be like a, uh, these kids, neighborhood kids, would have like bottle rockets on the ground, and and I would be out there barefoot in some shorts, and I would like race these bottle rockets, on, you know, like <laughs> just I'm barefoot, just going down the street trying to beat them, and just doing weird things like that, and. My older brother, <laughs> I don't know if he watched too much Bruce Lee or what, but uh, he would coordinate the neighborhood kids and we would have fight matches like out in this park. I'm, I'm not making this up, man. Like real fights? or Real on, man. Like we would bow to each other and go. <laughs> I'm not joking. And um, my dad, he was, uh, you know, I knew my dad was a military kind of person because he always had guns and, and he always talked about, you know, how to ha take care of yourself and handle this and that. And then my brother was, uh, was really interesting. He he was big, big guy. When he was born, I think he was like almost 13 pounds. Holy cow. Yeah, he was a big boy. And he was always the, the alpha male everywhere we went. He was huge guy, big guy. And so like when he was 16, he looked like he was 30. I'm not joking. If I showed you pictures of this, he would flip out. 
So, um, but yeah, so, you know, we, we'd goof around. And then my dad got a job to go down to Dallas, Texas. And that's another cultural shock, you know, going from far to Dallas, yes. you know. Um, and what was your dad doing? This is cool. Uh, the, uh, the FBI knew of his background and they wanted him to transport uh, stuff for the military through truck driving. So he became a military truck driver. But what he was really doing, he was transporting, uh, I think, you know, weapons and, and stuff like that and food and medical supplies for troops, huh. you know? So it was a really good job to get, especially coming here. And, you know, you gotta understand, like my father, coming from a background where he did finish school, he was a lawyer at a very young age. He was also, and, and there in, in Kurdistan, when you're pretty educated and you're successful, especially in the military, when you get put in a command post, like you're, you pretty much do everything. You're, you're the judge, you're the mayor, you're the commander, you're everything in that region. And he, he controlled several regions that way. So, so for coming from that to, you know, let's see. Being a taxi driver is kind of like almost degrading, but right. you, know, you got to do what you got to do. You hear stories like that all the time. Mm-hmm. People in their home countries, you know, can't practice. You know, they don't have their law degree here, or they don't have a medical license here, so they can't do what they were they were trained to do or study. So, you know, here we are. I listen. Yeah. So we come down to Dallas, and uh, Dallas was a trip. Because, uh, man, I just said the humidity blew me away. And, um, and when I say humidity, we got there in December. <laughs> it was still hot. <laughs> and I remember, my brother, we're burning up, man. And we, we looked out, the, we looked out there, like, we're wearing shorts and flip-flops, and these people are wearing, like, turtlenecks and earmuffs. <laughs> and we were like, what are you doing, you know? And it was, like, the funniest thing. But, um, but Texas uh, really shocked me fast. In Texas... If you're not Texan, you know, uh, you grow up fast there, especially Dallas. Um, and we lived in the outside of Dallas. There's a little uh, city, a little town called DeSoto, which was a suburb. It was south of Dallas, about maybe 20 miles uh, from downtown. And uh, you posted something about segregation in schools, mm-hmm. right? I was going to try to go on that, but I was like, oh, I don't want to. I don't want to say anything without because it's too hard to to express what you want to say verbally in writing without, on, on Facebook for sure yeah yeah because you know you can offend, I don't care if I offend people but you know I don't want to cross like sure. racial right. lines but um, the way they did it down there is so uh, take four quadrants right so like you know before like north and south or for you south and north right here so here the south will be where all the minorities here will be you know where all the people who the upper upper middle and upper class would be up here. So they will have a, an elementary school here, or let's say junior high, because that's when they really want to keep things separate. Right. So, and they really do. They start at junior high. They, they try to separate things. So in junior high, they'll have South, you know, DeSoto Junior High, and North DeSoto Junior High. And then when it's time to go to high school, they're like, okay, wait, wait, you know, the cities are growing, more people are moving in. Then they'll do an East and West. So now people that who were able to come up into the cross that border well they know they can't get in this side so now they'll do an east and west division so if you're in this area you get to go to this high school so now you, you know or in this area you have to go to that high school so the way they segregate is literally by by high highways and, and streets because they know okay 
And then, you know, you've been in downtown areas where you're like, yeah, anything south of wealthy, sure. Yeah. So... And, and every city has that. Yeah, and that's just the way they do it. And, and, I, and I picked that up really fast because I had a best friend that I met. And when I first got to Dallas, man, talk about getting picked on and bullied right away because definitely I wasn't black, right? Right. The Mexicans were like speaking to me in Spanish and I didn't understand what they were saying. And they were like, well, you're not Mexican. And I was like, no, I'm not, you know. Um, and that was it. You know, either you're Mexican, you're white, or you're black. That was it. And I was neither. Right. So I was kind of, I was kind of like yeah. lost somewhere. Right. But you get, uh, you'll, you'll meet a couple of guys. And there was this kid, I'll never forget him, man, Stacy Mitchell. Really cool guy, man. And for some reason, he and I, and the reason why we clicked, actually, I do know. Uh, he was the only kid that knew how to play soccer really well. <laughs> right. Stereotype all you want, man. But he and I were uh, good soccer players. So we, you know, we clicked. And, uh. I remember going from uh, elementary, because there they go kindergarten through fourth grade, and they got this thing called uh, intermediate school, which is fifth and sixth only. Huh. And then they have junior high, seventh and eighth, right. and yep. then they have high school. So when it came to uh, fourth grade, we're like, oh, cool, you know, you know so when we go to uh, intermediate school, we're going to do this and that, and then boom, they built another one. He's like, oh, we don't, I got to go to this split one. split you, yeah. And I was like, why? And he was like, well, we live, and we were literally like one street away from each other. And that street is what divided us. And I was like, oh. So for two years, we didn't go to the same school. But then when it came for junior high, then I found out, oh, they say, oh, everyone on that side of the Beltline Road uh, goes to the east and we get to go to west. So we went to west. So now we're, we're playing football. We're running track together. <laughs> we're smashing it, man. And in junior high, um, I met this guy named Byron Hansberg who actually went and played for the Atlanta Falcons. Um, yeah, I met some really good athletes in Texas, man. They right. breed. Yeah. Oh, they breed. football? Yeah. Mostly, yeah. And I was actually surprised. Uh, I, I was good at track because of the, the soccer. And um, the football coach, they needed a kicker. So what do they do? They go find the soccer, soccer guy. Right, yeah. And uh, the guy that they had as the running back, which was Stacy, and I, I was faster than Stacy. I didn't want to steal his spot, but I was like, told the coach, like, I'm faster than that guy. He's like, well, are you faster with him with shoulder pads on and a football? I was like, I never worn it, but I know I can beat him in a race. So it lined us up and bam. So next thing you know, he and I are alternates. And like, you know, well, they, they do the wingback position. Yeah. You know, so, you know, they're, they're a 5A uh, division. So it's different down there in Texas. Football's another religion, but um, no. And that was another thing, man. The sports uh, down in Texas will really make you grow up fast too, because you, if you're really good at what you do, but if you don't play their their rules and their games, um, they use you, you know. And there was, uh, I just wanted to be involved with so many sports. And I remember one time, uh, it was in between, was it? I think it was football, right? And. One of the ladies, uh, during the football game, me and then one of my buddies, we came out and we just decided just to have some fun. I mean, we, we were smoking everyone in all the football games. It was always like 40-something to zip. And uh, one of the touchdowns, I just, you know, we're not supposed to celebrate, but I did like this cool backflip whenever, and the, and the cheerleaders were all like, oh, wow, you can tumble. I'm like, tumbling, that's a joke. You know? I mean, we, we're doing it with football pads on. So the cheerleading lady wanted to put together a gymnastics team. And I, and I didn't think any. I was like, yeah, you know, as long as I don't have to wear a singlet, I'm good. Right. You know? <laughs> right. So uh, we actually put together, we took a couple of guys from the football team, we put together a little tumbling squad, and I was actually really good with, good with the rings and the high bar. And But on floor, I remember that one time I won the city 
meet that, that uh, competition. I got to the newspapers, and I was like, what the hell? I've never done gymnastics on my own. I let alone the tongue path, the route, you know, go to the four corners and mm-hmm. do splits and hand, whatever, do the scale and all that crap. And that was really cool. So, uh, but the way I learned how to fight, and this is the funniest story, is, uh, or the way I got into uh, you know, martial arts, um, the girls down in Dallas, in Texas, when you're different, they they, they want to know what you're about. So they'll come to you, and they want to do it. They forget to tell you that they have boyfriends. <laughs> don't they always? Oh, <laughs> oh, man, you don't understand. And check it out. These boyfriends are like eight years older than them. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, hey, you're trying to tell me that... Stone Cold Steve Austin is your boyfriend. Like, I don't need to be in this position right now, you know? It's like, this is rough, you know? So it was, I mean, I was constantly getting jumped, man. I was getting jumped everywhere I was going. It was just rough. So you never, you never got jumped in Fargo at all? No, man, I was five years old. I mean, we did those little competitions in the Sure, yeah, yeah, but I mean, like... No, the first time I ever got jumped... uh, I was in uh, South Oak Cliff, for you guys that know the Oak Cliff area, it's rough there, it was a bad ghetto. And uh, I think like 12 Mexicans jumped me and my brother and my cousin, it was rough, man. I got my ass beat. And I was in the second grade. So what, what does that make you, seven? What, seven, yeah, right. I remember that beating very well. I remember they tore up our jackets, took our shoes. And what, what was it over? <laughs> Jackets and shoes. Oh, Fair enough. <laughs> That's what it was, man. And it wasn't like we had nice Nikes or anything. We just took them. I'm like, all right. Got my ass beat. It was rough. Mm. Texas was weird. It was weird because the area that we went to, it was like for some reason that I moved into a town that was not very athletic. So I was like this superstar, like breaking all these weird records, you know, like, you know, field day. Sure. Man. I was smashing whoever the, the dude was, like the long jump. I was like, get out of here, man. Felt like I was at the, I was like some Greek god at the Olympics. Right. Hercules, here I come. Dude. Then uh, moved up to north side of Dallas and I got a job. I remember my first job was at a nightclub. And you're how old? 14. You're working at a nightclub at 14? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> This is where it gets interesting. Right? <laughs> this is where everything turns around, man. This is where, like, like I said, you, know, you grow up fast. Because, like, in, in Dallas, it, one thing about Texas. I was trying to beat Pitfall at 14, just so you know. Like, oh, yeah. Okay. I, was not, I was not working in a nightclub at all. Okay, so the way I got the job for the night, my brother actually was, um, he, the guy, the bouncers there, they, they were garbage. So my brother became really good at martial arts. And how much older is he than you? He's only like six years older than me. Okay, so he's 20. Yeah, 20 and you're 14. Right. Yeah. But he's 20 that looks like he's 30. Right, yes. Right, yeah. I mean, it's pretty amazing. The, I'll show you a picture. You know, I got a picture of us in the nightclub when I'm 14. And, uh, on your iPhone, you do. Yeah, you know those uh, Throwback Thursdays? Yes. Yeah, someone, just got to keep them on. on someone, someone sent me a picture and uh, that's us in that nightclub. That's me when I'm 14. That's him at 16. Wow. Right? That's him at 16? 16, dude. I'm telling you, man. Yeah, he looked at he was an he's adult. Scary. He was an adult male. Yeah, he's a, he's yeah. a scary guy, man. And he's big. So anyways, um, he trained the people there how to, you know, standing um, 
Kamors, you know, yep. chicken wing yep. and chokes. We're gonna get we we're doing we're gonna get chokes since we were kids. Literally, the, the right way. Right. Like, not the wrestling, the Von Eric style. Hi. Hey, what's going on? How are you? Good. 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 How's the family? Awesome. <laughs> Loving it. So big. Yeah. I mean, they, they say they grow fast, but uh, honestly, not fast enough for me. I, I, need, <laughs> I need a little bit faster, to be honest with you. Like, like hey, Dad, let's, let's go do something. Right. Let's no, like, all right. Yeah. do your own, set yourself up, yeah, right? Exactly. <laughs> um, so... He was there, and uh, one night, and, and, and another thing that you gotta understand, the way I grew up, it was, uh, we were very, very independent. Like, I, uh, fifth grade, you know, my dad had very cool rules. He had rules, but they were cool. If you don't act like a clown, and you don't drive like a clown, you can take the car, go do whatever you need to do. As long as you're under, you behave well, you should never get pulled over. So dude, I was driving at an early age. <laughs> I know that sounds weird, man. I'm not lying. Like in the sixth grade, I'd pick up all my friends. We'd go to like Seven Eleven, play video games, Vanguard, and all sorts yep. of cool stuff. And then, yeah. you know, go to the movies and go to um, Matsio's Pizza. And then, I, you know, put the gas in and do everything. But I remember, I would, and it freaked me out, man. People had the gas in. Like, what is this kid doing? I'm like, what are you doing? Why are you staring at me? You know. Apparently, a twelve-year-old is not supposed to be driving. That is uh, a Buick Saber. It's a federal law, actually. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. So I'm sure it's not the first part of the story where you break federal federal law. Nah. Well, yeah. Yeah. True. Yeah. I'll keep that part out. Yeah. But um, so I take my brother. My brother was like, "Hey, um, you know, do you need a car for anything?" Because I mean, I'm telling you, it was really a weird sure. upbringing. I was like, "Yeah, I think I might go do this." He was like, "Well, then, take me to the club and then just go do whatever you want." So I go there, and I had like an hour to kill, so I go upstairs. And the DJ, I, I saw this DJ, he's flipping through records and he's just like, ah. I'm like, dude, his name is Justin. I'm like, are you all right, Justin? And he's like, yeah, Mark's not here. And I'm like, okay, well, what do you need Mark for? He's like, well, someone's gotta do the lights. Like, when people come in this club, you know, someone's gotta do the lights. And I'm like, so what do you, you just push a bunch of buttons? You know? He's like, yeah. And he goes, you see this toggle switch? That's the fog machine. I'm like, got it, homie. And I'm like, what music do you play? You know, and he was playing the best music. Uh, front two four two, old school nine inch nails. Okay, Knights of Red. You know, so it's like an industrial. Oh, life. totally industrial. Gotcha. Goth industrial. Yep. You know, yeah. Like I was like, oh yeah. You know, I mean, if people think the cures the goth. No, they get out of here. Yeah, get, let's get real on this. So I go, I go back behind the DJ booth, and I'm just start pushing buttons, and I'm like totally having a good time, man. I mean, the blast because the place gets packed. I'm pushing buttons. My brother's like, hey, I thought you had plans. I'm like, yeah, I'll just forget those plans. I'm right. having a good time. The owner of the place comes up to me. He's like, "Man, you really, really like know music, don't you?" I was like, "Why? Well, I know this music, yeah, and it's not hard. Like, I just look at see what he's playing next, or if I hear it, because <laughs> a lot of the stuff I never, I, I still don't know the names of or whatever. But like, when I hear it, I'm like, do I totally know that song?' Yeah. And so like, you know, uh, you just know like how to play set up the lights. Sure. And this is not like the a, a, a board where you can." pre-programmed like right you yeah. gotta push and yeah. play it at right. the same time hit the strobe when you know like if you're playing a really cool like Joy Division or New Order song and you know the, the little synthesized drums kick off you gotta right. hit that strobe just right and so it was like so I would, I would do everything right and if you do a really good light show the crowd dances all night mm -hmm. long especially with the right music the end of the night, man, uh, Boss Man King gave me an envelope and said Steve's little brother because they didn't know my name. 
<laughs> right? They knew I was Steve's brother, obviously. I opened it up, it was 50 bucks. And I was like, and I was there only for like three hours, right? And uh, this is 1989, all right? So, you know, young kid. And he said, come back tomorrow and I'll have another 50 bucks for you. I was like, all right, cool. So Friday, Saturday, yeah, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday nights, I was making $150. So you're making 600 bucks a month as a as a fourth. I, I didn't I didn't count like that. Okay. I, I counted as I make 150 bucks a weekend. Because I would every weekend I just I had, that's all I look forward to. Right. It was my weekends. And I never told anybody at school what I was doing. I didn't want anyone to know. I didn't want the teachers and I didn't want anybody to know. Because next thing you know, everyone wants to be my friend. Right. You know, so Want you to get them in the club. Yeah, the club. yeah, yeah. So, and then there's this thing in Dallas. It's called Club Courtesy. If you work at one club, you get Club Courtesy at all the other clubs. You know, uh, what they call industry nights now. Back then, it's called Club Courtesy. So, you know, when we would shut down, there would be these after-hour clubs I would go to. They would op- they would open up at two because we went on last call, so two to four or right. four thirty. We would go to like the Aqua Lounge or uh, the Bomb Factory, um, the Star Club. And talk about a big, big, huge fishbowl of ecstasy. <laughs> and you can just grab, you know, I mean, it's, there's no charge. You just right. go and big rooms that had curtains around them. And people go, okay. And, you know, and right. it was like, dude, I was exposed to that at an early age. And then, you know, my brother's like, hey, just whatever happens, you just be right next to me throughout the whole night. And obviously, you know, don't tell mom and dad. Dad knew. They knew what was up, but, you know. They always do. They always do. So I did that for, oh, uh, for four years, every weekend. Holy cow. So what are you doing with all this money? Believe it or not, man, I, I gave uh, all, all, almost all of it to my mom, you know. Uh, she, she was, that worked two jobs. You know, right. she worked. She started off at really at the lower end of the, the clean uh, company part of a hospital, but then she moved all the way up to manager and supervisor, so she would control everything. And then she also had a um, uh, like subcon. She had contracts for these other buildings to go clean, but then she would have she would hire people to go people from the hospital that need extra work. She would get them, you know, she would hire them to go. Okay, I need these floors to be clean, and she would pay them, you know, that night. Gotcha. So, um, you know, very. I think that whole entrepreneur thing came from my parents because, yeah, they worked. They had, you know, they worked for other people and they had jobs, but they knew how to keep doing other things to keep mm-hmm. money flowing. Right. And um, so it was really. And then when I was uh, when I was and I never got a driver's license until I was actually 18 years old because I never got pulled over. But you've been driving since you were like six. Twelve, yeah. <laughs> and um, so, but it was funny. Check this out. I, I didn't get my license until I was 18. But at 16, I got a second job uh, parking valet. I didn't check your license? <laughs> Dude, the guy was Iranian. He was totally cool. <laughs> <laughs> he was, his name was Reza. And Reza was like the coolest guy in the world. And he had two valet spots. One was for this restaurant called uh, uh, Torelli's. And the other one was for uh, a strip club. Obviously, I go to the strip club. Clearly, I'm gonna right. Make, I'm yeah. going to make the most money. Right. Tips. But apparently, I was this cute little boy. Hey, why not, man? You know, it was a win-win situation, except for my girlfriend at the time. She didn't like it. But it's shocking or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But, so, all that aside, I still, my number one passion was martial arts, man. Yeah. So, when did, so your brother, your brother get you into this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
those bouncers that he uh, trained, he actually was able to develop like a little school and uh, you know, word gets around, and then it was funny because you know, like when people, it was kind of like when you hear the Gracies, like, oh, a challenge is coming, right? You know, and this guy, uh, super cool guy, his name is uh, Billy Quigley, William Quigley, now, but Billy, Billy shows up, dude, he looks like Thor, but like not too, you know, but I mean, just blonde hair, yep. muscular, super fast. I mean, okay, you know, the martial art guy, like Gary Daniels, the, yeah, okay, Gary Daniels. To the T, man. Built like him, can do the splits. Oh, I'm like, uh, you know, that's Fist of the North Star right there. You know what I'm saying? Like, awesome, you know? You know, I'm like, yeah, it's yep, cool. For sure. And I'm not a South, you know, I'm not Fist from the South Star, but I'll do the best I can. He was my brother's age. To watch those guys spar was pretty, was awesome. That was like, you know, I mean, Key and Chi was flying everywhere, man. Yeah. I'm like, this is awesome. My brother's throwing him around because he's in the throwing arts, you know? And Billy's a Taekwondo expert, so he's, you know, doing all these, you know, Dehan, you know, special kicks. And it was pretty cool. And uh, so my brother, you know, my brother never had like a belt system or a ring system kind of thing. He just taught people how to do things. And they, they started to get along. And so he made a deal with Billy. He's like, hey, Billy, uh, take my brother and get him through your ranks and... and he needs he needs a belt because he he's doing these competitions and I was doing the, the I did a couple of the uh, point stuff I point like point karate point karate yeah gotcha. I did like three of them uh, in uh, like in three different week, weekends they were very very stupid I lost one to my points to this like a, a stupid fat kid <laughs> I mean and they actually I lost uh, no I got disqualified because apparently the, the, the boundary things you can't kick them out of the bound no you can kick them out of the boundaries you get one point for it but the way I did it was I guess it was violent or something right yeah which is most people's problems with point karate yeah like no big. because like I because I did I ran I jumped up and I did this full sprint I jumped sure. in there I did like this flying ninja cool side kick in the air and you know like like you know, like revenge of the ninja. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, you know, right, the only thing I didn't have with the swords, right, yeah. was, or the the size, and the the dude, I you know, the way I hit him, and the the the, the ref was like, no, like, no, what? <laughs> he was like, no. no. He was like, you you're here for the wrong reasons, and I'm like, should do I need to bow before I do that? Like I didn't know. I like right. I, I thought we already bowed. So what's right. what's the problem here? You know, you know, uh, I'm just trying to get my points in because I couldn't like. He, he was tall. He had long legs. He was fat, but he would just sit there and just sidekick you. And, and you know, he sidekick you in the arm. But you, know, you get a point, set, right? Yeah. Set. So I, I told my brother, I was like, this is dumb. I was like, I don't want to do this. He was like, no, you have to. I was like, no, no. I've seen it on TV. ISKA on ESPN or whatever it was late at night. They would show these, these guys kickboxing in a ring. And Dennis Alexia was a heavyweight champion at the time. And I'm like, dude, I've, I've seen this. And this is before kickboxing and blood sport. And I'm sure. like, dude, I want to do that. Where they let you go for three minutes and you just add up the points. Like, that's better for me. And it's like, but you need to get a belt. So you need to train with Billy. I'm like, fine. So I trained with Billy. So Monday through Thursdays, I just did nothing. After school, I would just go train. Train, 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 train. Friday nights before I would go to work. So I would go to work at 10 o'clock at night. Right. So um, 7, uh, 7 p.m., the dojo at the SMU, Southern Methodist University, the Mustangs. The uh, head soccer coach there was Brazilian. Uh, his name was Shellis Hyman. And Shellis, Shihan Shellis, uh, knew Brazilian jiu-jitsu, believe it or not. He was from uh, Sao Paulo. No one knew. This was before UFC won. And uh, Shellis was like the coolest guy, but he was into Aiki jiu-jitsu, 
which what's that? Uh, it's jujitsu with the aikido. So after you throw the guy, then you actually go break the bones. <laughs> okay, right, yeah, right. What Seagal does, right? You know, after you just throw somebody, you, you break their bones. So like, I started learning like these really cool, unique arm bars. It was more Japanese jujitsu, sure. You know. Um, so I was learning like weird arm bars and, and rear naked chokes, which I already I kind of understood it. But and then, but I was learning it all from like when a guy, like the stuff we were learning from was when a guy comes and they always do the one punch, the right hand punch, and then you do all this technique. But on Friday it's sparring nights, so here I was this white belt, and you know, and Billy was affiliated with this Okinawan karate slash Japanese jujitsu school. So on Friday nights you get to go there. So I would train Monday through Thursday with Billy at his little health club. He had like this little little studio in the back. And then on Friday nights, we would go to SMU Dojo and uh, you get to spar anybody you want. But you can't just walk up to a black belt and be like, I want to spar. You have to wait till they pick on you. Man, I would like, I, the, whenever a white belt, I get matched with a lot, I would just smash them. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and I'm not trying to brag. It's just literally, it was just two different. No, but levels, I mean. You know? Obviously, what what I know of you, yeah. you know, in in your adult, I mean, you're wired for fighting. It was, People are either wired for fighting or, or you're not. Yeah. yeah. And then I would go with the black belts, and I would totally have some fun. And I would, I would not, most of the times, I would dominate because I mean, I was 127, 30 pounds. I was fast, quick, you know, do all kinds of stuff. Um, and the the crazy thing was, the, we didn't even, we didn't have mouthpieces, we didn't have hand wraps, we didn't have gloves, we didn't have shin guards. All we had was a cup and a gi. So it's a gi bare knuckled. It was straight kumite, homie. I mean, it was crazy. <laughs> we did that every Friday night, right? So finally, uh, Shellis was like, "You need to get this kid into a boxing ring." And I'm like, "Thank you, man. Somebody tell my right. brother, you know." Right. So they, uh, Please I mean, stop beating up our black belts. Go do something yeah, else. Yeah, well, these guys, man, you know, they, they, they're, they're fighting, like, sure. karate. Yeah. And, you know, and I'm, I'm up here, you know, right. doing... And then uh, the way I got into Thai boxing, my older cousin joins the Marines. He gets stationed in the Philippines, right? So he's at the PI, and apparently he picked up Thai boxing because, you know, PI and, and, and Thailand's right next to each other. Comes back and... <laughs> I'll never forget this lesson. He's like, hey... You still do those fancy kicks? And I'm like, well, yeah, you know? I was like, well, that, I, didn't, I didn't know boxing. Right. All I had was legs. I was a very fast runner. I was a sprinter on a track team. I was great at soccer. So, yeah, of course I got kicks. Like, all right, well, kick me. He was so if we were to fight, what kick would you use on me? I was like, roundhouse you in the head. And this guy's like 6'4", right? And I'm like, all right, I'll try. He's like, give me your best shot. And, you know, he just obviously leaned back. And, and at that time, I, I flicked. I didn't go through. Yeah. You know? So it was like, you know, Machida style. And then he was like, all right. He goes, well, would you ever think about kicking me in the leg? And I'm like, well, yeah. I mean, I would sidekick you in the, the kneecap. I saw, you know, Bruce Lee do that. I mean, it's effective. I'd definitely do that. Which we would know as the oblique kick. The oblique kick. Yeah. He's like, yeah, but have you ever thought, like, soccer kicking someone's thigh? And I'm like... No, but I think I saw Ben in the Jet do that and won some weird fight overseas, right? And he's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's called Thai boxing, you know, Muay Thai. And I was like, yeah, I heard about that. I don't know anything about it. And he's like, well, go ahead and, you know, kick my leg. Bro, I went 100% and he checked it with that big ass shot. <laughs> oh my God. That was the worst feeling in my life, man. I swear. I was, I, I couldn't walk. 
I, 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 and I, when I was on the ground crying, I could have sworn I looked over and he's kicking. I, I'm, I'm totally exaggerating, but it felt like he was kicking the telephone pole, laughing at me, like like Tom Poe or something. Right, and right. I was like, "What did you just do?" You know? And he's like, "You need to learn Thai boxing." So there was a guy who had a glass jaw, so he couldn't fight anymore. But he was ranked at the time uh, fourth in the in the world in kickboxing and Muay Thai too. His name was Steve Goins. So I go over there and he had this uh, this guy named John Vakitas. And the reason why that name might ring a bell, and I'll tell you in a second. Well, John uh, was really cool and he was a good kickboxer. He was a southpaw. No, 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 you know, he was regular. I was a, I grew up southpaw my whole life, fighting. Until I realized I'm fighting wrong. So then I switched to orthodox. But whenever I do spar, I don't whenever a southpaw go, I'll go back to southpaw just to mess with them a right, little bit. Right. And then I'll come back. So anyways. I switched, uh, so I, I, I've trained with these guys. I finally get my first kickboxing match. Everything's going smooth. I'm having a good time. And while I'm doing the nightclub thing, you know, during the daytime on weekends, I would fight. Uh, I, would, I didn't, I never cut weight. I never did. I would just, I hear a phone call. People would page me. You know, and right. Motorola, right. seven, yeah. seven yeah. numbers only. Uh, they would page me, fight, you know, I'll call them, hey man, there's a fight over here. And so I'd run to this gym, run to that gym, you know, I would just go. I didn't care who it was. I would just fight. And by the time I was, before I turned 18, for the four, the four years I did all that kickboxing, I think I did like 65 amateur fights. Wow. So you, you know? love, like loved it. But it, dude, there, so it was like, you know how you and I spar? Mm-hmm. It was that. Every weekend. Right. I mean, even four years, 60, I mean, that was your thing. You loved that. You know how I know that number? Because some dude that was with me the whole time kept count. I never did. I didn't care. Because one, one weekend, uh, I did five of them. You know, on a Saturday, I did three. I did two. I did Saturday, I did three, and I did two on a Sunday. You know, it was one of those things where you qualify. Right. And it was such a huge bracket. And I, I actually, I, I did, uh, I did uh, two weight class, no, three weight classes. You know, because I, I cleaned out one. I was like, well, show them that one. And we went to the next one, and you know, I did five in one weekend. So people are like, how'd you do sixty-five? And and. You know, for and then in summer, well, in the summertime when I didn't have school, bro, I did I did that twenty two fights in one summer. Right. You know, dude, it's, it was it was so much fun. It was and I wasn't getting hurt. You know, I got my bell rung a couple of times, but I never had broken anything. Never broke my nose or a hand or nothing. I mean, I had headgear on. I was doing all this stuff. So, um, then when I went, this promoter who really liked me was like, "Hey, man, um, if you want." Why don't we strip down the gear? Let me put you in some of these other cards, and I'll give you. Uh, I think he said fifty bucks a round, so it'd be a four-round fight. And if it gets to the, you know, every round that goes, you get fifty you get bucks. bucks. <laughs> so I was like, all right, cool. I didn't care because I was doing that, you know, that Friday night sparring with no padding. Right. So I was like, yeah, cool, awesome. Gloves, that's it, and mouthpiece, you know, cut. I started wearing the mouthpiece at the dojo place, though. After I did the kickboxing, I was like, yeah, I need to keep my girl. So, uh, in the beginning, you know, I would finish these guys. And then when I started, when I realized these guys were, weren't that good, I would purposely wait to the fourth round because I was like 200 bucks. Right. <laughs> and I think that the guy, he, he caught on. He's like, how can you not finish this guy? I'm like, he's like, if you finish him, I'll give you the 200 bucks. Just Put on a show. I was like, fine. <laughs> you should have told me that at the beginning. Right, I would have ended it in 30 seconds. So technically, I got I was a pro Muay Thai at 18. Because that's, that's how I was getting paid. 
because once you get paid, right? But I don't, I don't think. I, to be honest, I don't think there was sanction. It might have been sanctioned with the IKF. Uh, Steve, uh, I forget Steve's last name. But wait, anyways, um, because he has a huge database actually, and he's from like Chicago. He's from the Midwest area. So um, yeah, I, at eighteen, I, I figured out okay, I'll do that, and then uh, I moved to San Diego. Um, yeah, we had a, there was an accident. It was like a death in the family that kind of really set us back a lot. And so I really wanted to get out of Dallas, you know, because granted, I was, it sounds like I was having a lot of fun. But then that, that nightclub, that's like, dude, that, that's going to have to be another segment because it's that's a really dark, dark. Time. Sure. Very dark. I mean, well, I, I can. I mean, and we can. Yeah. I would love to be back and do that. But like, I can only imagine what that would be like at 14, 15, dude. 16, 17, 18, trying to go through that. Let's just say this. Now, I'm not BSing here. There was many times where I was taking a Porsche 911 to school, <laughs> and I had a Ninja ZX-7. Just... <laughs> All right. <then. laughs> All right. So, it was fun. It was a good time. I ain't gonna lie. I mean, that, that 911 was pretty sweet, actually. Um, it was either that or the 928S4. So, I was like, ah, I didn't <laughs> My brother had the, S- the S4. Right. You know, we would switch off. It was cool. But um, I, my brother really got into uh, Porsches. He started collecting them. So it was. And like, he works in Vegas now. Yes. My older brother, no. No, San Diego. San right. Diego. Yeah. 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 He's in the you know, alternative medicine. I guess that's what it's called. But um, yeah. So I went to San Diego, and I literally ran into like that whole fork in the road or whatever roadblocks. You know, I, I just I was going to college. Didn't really know what I wanted to do. I I had a lot of money put away. So I opened up a uh, my own business, and I kind of knew that this business was going to help my parents. I, that was one thing I always did. I always took care of my parents. I was always that backbone, you know. So I, I was like, you know what? Uh, let me let me get my my dad's health started really getting bad. I was like, you know, let me get my parents out of. So I left uh, my senior year. Or like there was like one semester left, and I just I didn't really wasn't friends with anybody, so I just left. I just left Dallas. <laughs> well, the reason why I left because I knew that if I had if I had a high school diploma in California, then I didn't have to pay out of state tuition, and I wanted to go to San Diego State really, really bad. So, or anywhere in right. San Diego. So, like, screw it. I'll just go to high school there, get a diploma, and then I don't have to pay out of state tuition. I thought that was a smart move. Sure. Why not? You know, out of state tuition is a lot. Uh, yeah. yeah <laughs> so I, you know, in some I, cases, I, double. Yeah, I wasn't getting uh, any scholarships or anything. You know, so. Um, because I, I pretty much quit uh, all sports uh, my senior year or junior year. I just like I just got so fed up with the sports system in Texas. It was just so corrupted. So I go out to San Diego and um, I get things rolling there. And then like my parent, you know, my parents come out. I moved there in '94. My parents moved out in '95. Uh, I, I did this business thing for them, and then in '98, I was like, "Man, I really, really need to do something here." I was like, tw- I was going on 22 years old, and I felt like I was 32. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, oh. yeah, I mean, starting work at 14, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I was like, I, I got to do something different here, so uh, I joined the Air Force. Out of all the things I did, I was like, I'm gonna go join the Air Force. And then my all my friends flipped out. They're like, What? What do you mean? I'm like, I'm gonna go give this uh, paratrooper and combat control thing a shot and see how this works out, you know? And uh, yeah, they loved me, so they took me in and 
did the Air Force for, uh, I did active duty, and then after I got out, I did reserve, so I did a total of eight years. When I got out, I mean, I met my wife, and we got married, and, uh, you know, she had a really good career, you know what she did. Sure, so, yeah. Um, but when I got out, I was like, man, you know, what am I going to do in the civilian world? And I really could not find many jobs. I looked everywhere, man. Dude, not even Costco was hiring at the time. I mean, I was wow. really looking around. Yeah. I was like, well, what am I going to do? I got all this military training. I'm a smart business guy. I don't I, I don't have all the money. I literally I gave most of my money to my parents. I don't want to go and hit them up. Hey, leave me alone so I can go do this. I'm not that kind of person. I don't want to go do the stuff that I did to, you know. So I was like, I need to figure out something. I was like... I'll just go back to fighting because you can do that anywhere. So, uh, my, but uh, I did find a, uh, there was this gym and I did uh, started teaching uh, gymnastics to the, the, the boys team that they were going to nationals. And I was a really good gymnast. Sure. Player. Yeah. So I started teaching them, you know, I was helping out with the tumbling team. I was part of the staff there and they paid me good. They were giving me like, you like 35 a year or something like that. Oh, wow. I was like, yeah, cool. You know, I'll take that. I mean, right. honestly, I was thinking like, you know, where, what's this, like, what are you guys going to pay? They're like, well, you know, if you want to go full time, you know, make you, we'll put you on salary. I'm like, well, what are we looking at? I'm like, well, how's 35 a year? I was like, to do flips and hang on the rings and land in the pit. And, and yeah, like on weekends, teach these kids how to surf. Sign me up. Right. You know what I mean? Like, let's go. So I did that, and I did a lot of stuff with the YMCA. That was kind of cool. And then uh, my wife uh, graduated her undergrad at UCSD in California, in La Jolla. She, wanted to, she did her master's in Chicago. Remember I told you I lived yep. there? So, yeah. we, so we moved to Chicago in 05, and I, got, I found another job, uh, gymnastics uh, coaching there. And in the back room, this other guy who taught the kids... He was a, uh, a kickboxer, a retired kickboxer. And he would teach martial arts back in the background. And I would watch what they were doing. I'm like, man, garbage. But I, I you know, I was just like, that's, that's the worst, right? What do you see when you're, oh, like, what you are know, you teaching I, these people? Yeah, seriously. Like, garbage, man. I had this idea, seriously, I had this idea for, um, I wanted to pitch to Spike TV, and it was back when, you know, like three or four years ago when the UFC was just starting to become this giant. After the reality show? After the reality yeah. show. And I wanted to pitch this thing where I would have martial, like MMA fighters go into shitty dojos and kick the shit out of black belts and then take yeah. their, and then take their black belts. Well that thing with Stephen Bonner with the uh, the dead mob guy and he's like, <laughs> Well he's resisting. He's like Stephen Bonner's like, What are you talking about? He's I'm fighting you. That's yeah. what we're doing. Yeah. So So yeah, so I see this guy and he's doing his thing and um I don't know what gave me the urge to, to you know, we, we kind of knew each other, but I don't know why I, I finally said, hey, you don't mind, you know, I'd love to work the bag with you and stuff, and, you know, maybe you can hold pass. I just, I missed it, you know, because when sure. I was in the military, they had, uh, the, the, the weight room, they always had a punching bag in the back corner, and I, you know, I make sure no one was, I was very, very secret. I didn't like people knowing that I could do, you know, because you know how it is. Oh, you, you got black bone karate, you know that. Right. Whole, yeah, I, yeah. I really try to stay away from all that. So I, I always like to practice, like, in private. And his, in the way he taught, he taught in this uh, other section of the warehouse, and he was way in the back, and he's, you know, he's like, yeah. And then when he saw me, you know, movies like, dude, you kind of know what you're doing, don't you? And I was like, well, yeah. I was like, but I told him, I looked at him too. I said, listen, no matter what, I, I don't want to compete. Like, I'm, I don't want to fight. And three months later, I'm fighting for the for a title. 
I'm not joking, man. Because he, 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 uh, he introduced me to this guy named, and his name is very interesting. His name is Manson Gibson. I don't know if you remember this guy. Mm-mm. When I met the guy, he had 101 wins, uh, 14 losses. He had 60-something KOs. And he was the most ghetto black guy you'll meet from South Chicago. I mean, this guy reeked alcohol, was always on something, cracked out. And remember Windy City Boxing Gym? Yep. Okay. So I walk in there. That that, that, that gym shut down. But if you did, you ever walk in there? No. Okay. No, so no. I know what it is. Okay. Right, so it's yeah. in this warehouse and it's four levels up. Yep. So you have to walk up these the staircases, and when you go in there, you're, there's these two boxing rings. Dude, like when you're done with the workout, you don't even want to take a shower because you're just gonna get more dirty after your shower because it's just disgusting. Boards and just mildew. It's just like, oh my god. I mean, the most dungeon-ish gym you can think of. But it, he was a world champion. He was a seven-time world champion. And he fought on Duke Rufus's cards up in uh, Milwaukee. Sure. Okay. And so he was fighting. I forgot who he was fighting. It was in June of '05, And, uh, you know, he was fighting, I think it was Comey event. And I was uh, the first fight of the night. Because I started training with him, and he got me on the card, and I got paid a thousand bucks. And I, I saw I've seen UFC back in Dallas, you know, back in the kids, sure. But I didn't know that they UFC was so under well, MMA, NHB. Let me go back. NHB was so underground that I I wasn't keeping up because you know we didn't have social media or internet like that. We did, but not like that. But I didn't know that they were starting to develop weight classes and stuff like that until later on. Right. Because I remember after the first, you know, couple of UFCs, I remember my friends, you know, those guys back in the house like, man, would you ever do that? I'm like, no. Like, <laughs> guy's 300 pounds. Like, yeah, but look at that little skinny dude. I'm like, yeah, but he's doing some jujitsu that no one's even seen. Like, that's some crazy. Right. I don't even, I, I know the gi jujitsu and he's doing it. I don't know what he's doing. Because the way I was taught jujitsu, you never go to your back. Right. You know, the Japanese. Because you were Japanese. Yeah, you yeah. stay on your feet. You go to the next opponent. It's multiple opponents that you got to go and, and break. You don't pull guard. You die. They stomp on your head. The bright style. Yep. So, um, so yeah. And so there I am. And I fight on a Duke Rufus card. And that was super cool. And then I see. So there was uh, the kickboxing matches. And then uh, we went to Racine, which is Milwaukee. It's south of Milwaukee. Yep. Yeah. We go to this. Uh, what, I don't know what I was doing there. I see this this fat guy fighting this other dude, and they're wearing you know MMA gloves. And, and I was like, "What are these guys up to?" And all of a sudden, they go to the girl. I'm like, "Oh, this is this is an NHB fight." And and, and everyone's like, "What's NHB?" I'm like, "It's like no rules, man. You can do whatever they want." But then all of a sudden, I hear, oh, "You can't do this." And, and I'm like, "Wait, there's rules." I'm like, "Wait, what's going on here?" And then. But that dude wins, right? And the way he wins was a little sloppy. Apparently, the matchmaker was sitting right next to me, and I didn't know who he was. And I'm like, man, I would kick that guy's ass. <laughs> the matchmaker goes, really? And I was like, fuck oh, yeah. I was like, I'm not, but it got to be worth it. I mean, dude, that's, that's a joke, man. I mean, like, like, how much is this guy getting? He's like, well, he just got 1500 I was like, he got what? And I was like, 
Three weeks later, I fought that guy and I smashed him. And he outweighed me like 20 pounds. <laughs> I didn't even know what the weight classes were. I was like, I, I could beat that guy. Yeah. You know, there's certain people, you're sure. like, I'm going to smash that yep. guy. I don't care about weight. And he was garbage, you know? Smashed him. And so I got my first taste of MMA. And uh, that was in 05. And I just loved it. Uh, after that year, we went to San Diego. <laughs> so this is where things really are going to get more familiar with you. So we get to San Diego. Again, don't have, you know, I can't find a job. So I was like, but I would pick up fights, you know, movie type fights. And Dennis Warner did a lot of fights up at uh, uh, Hollywood Park up there in, in L.A., which is a pretty big Muay Thai scene. Uh, right. Dwayne uh, Ludwig was yep. the champion at the time for the Muay Thai fights there in King One. Um, this is before he got into MMA as well. So I remember I was like, dude, that guy's tall. I don't want to fight him. You know, because like, right. like, oh, you want to fight this guy? I'm like, no, I'm not even in his weight class, you know, like. That when it got to that level, that's when I was like, "Yeah, these guys, this is where shit's getting real." Right. So, um, one of my other hobbies is sport bikes. I'm, I'm a, I love street bikes, man. You know, it's just yep. Yeah. So yeah. I, I had an R1, and so I, I figured, you know what? Until I find the right fight, I'll go sell sport bikes at a dealership. You know, on the side, make sure. money. It was easy, and I knew everything about sport bikes. You know, you know when you love something, yep. you just know it in and out. For sure. Like I knew what year they start. Doing inverted forks to make the handling better, and I knew which year they switched from carbon fuel injection, all that nonsense. So when you have product knowledge, it's easy to sell. So, and I hate having a boss, but when you're a sales rep, you make your own hours, you know, especially if you can make the numbers mm -hmm. and you turn over the units right. So I was getting commissions pretty good. These checks were decent. The, the owner loved me. He's like, man, you're really good, well. And I sold the heart. I didn't even know what it, I didn't know. I was like, yeah. The, you know what the, the key thing is when you're in sales, especially like uh, you know, motorcycles? And sure. Cars, you know the, the, the best way to close a deal? Man, look good on that. <laughs> looks good on you. Right. Dude, you say that, it looks good on you. It does. <laughs> looks, looks good on you, man. Dude, <laughs> it sells. The guys I hate, man. I, I, and I can see him a mile away. Before we even get further into any kind of deal, I'd be like, you know, maybe you should go get your wife's permission first. And I had to learn. Like, it took me a while to figure them out, but once I did, dude, these guys, they would run you through and through and through and through, and then all of a sudden, right when it comes time to do the, the numbers are good, financing's approved, everything's good to go. And he's like, all right. I need, to go, I need to go talk to the wife now. And I'm like, what the fuck are you doing here, man? What are you doing here? You know, so anyways. Uh, the, there was this guy, man, this little little leprechaun-looking dude who, was, who just showed up there. He didn't know anything about bikes. And nothing, right? And I felt bad, so I kind of, I was like, hey, dude, you know, I'll split some commissions with you, kind of, I'll teach sure. you some stuff, you know, and he didn't know how to sell for anything. But he was like, hey, uh, you know, I, I'm like a matchmaker. And I was like, yeah, for what? He's like, for this show called Total Combat. And I'm like, well, what is that? He's like, well, it's not legal in California, so we go down to Mexico a lot and we do fights down there. And I was like, all right. He goes, you're a fighter, right? I was like, dude, like, why did you? He was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, in the, I'm in the business. I know when I see a fighter. Kind of what you were saying, you know, like you just people are white. You know, yep. you can notice it. He's like, you fight, right? Where are you? And I was like, Muay Thai. He goes, you ever done MMA? He's like, no, you need to learn wrestling and jiu-jitsu. So why don't you come down to this gym and check it out? So I go down to City Boxing. I meet Eric Del Fiero. I meet Brandon Vera. I met Ed Ratcliffe. I met uh, Dominic Cruz, was still playing soccer in Arizona. No one even heard of him. He, he, he's a nobody. <laughs> right. He doesn't even exist yet. Wade Ship is down there. Uh, 
Ronnie Yaya was down south more teaching jits. I was like, I was clueless to these people. I didn't know anybody. So I met this guy, and uh, his, his name was Ed Radcliffe, 9 millimeter. He fought in the WC against uh, uh, Donald Cerrone. Me and Ed start sparring, and I do my signature move, spinning back kick, wheel kick, right? And he was like, that's my move. And I'm like, sorry. And he's like, what? you know, and he's like, what did you do? I was like, showing him karate, you know, Okinawan karate. He's like, yeah, that's what I do. And he's like, you know, his mouth, he says karate, bitches. <laughs> so he and I got along super fast, you know. We were like kind of brothers, by the way. And, uh, yeah, so I started training with all these guys, and, and Rolando Perez uh, was actually slated to fight uh, uh, Jose Aldo. I was like, ooh, tough fight there, man. Right. Good luck, you know. So, uh, you know, the, the owner of City Boxing, he ripped off uh, Brandon Bear, like 40 thousand dollars uh, with the Osiris uh, company that he was being sponsored with. Yep. And they wanted to renew his contract, and I forget what, and all this nonsense. So uh, everyone got kind of fed up, and um, that guy that I helped, uh, that little leprechaun dude that I helped teach uh, how to sell bikes, he said, hey, um, there's, a, there's a guy I want you to meet. His name is Dave. Uh, he he's from the uh, boxing company and he's doing this he's building a gym so you want to go down there and check it out and I was like alright let's go check it out so I go down to this place uh, which was later on it turned out to be undisputed but we walked in and this place was just a wreck and I looked around I meet the guy and he's like hey I'm Dave I'm F. Sean and he's like what are you doing man he's like building the gym and I'm like yeah but what kind of gym you know like, oh, you know MMA? I was like, yeah. And I kind of messed with it a little bit. I'm more of a stand-up guy. And I was like, so what do you, who's going to be your, you know, who are you bringing in? Like, what instructors are you going to have here? And he's like, well, there's this guy from Hawaii. You know, his name is Barry Yoshida. I'm going to bring him over. But he's going to be expensive, but it'll be worth it. I'm going to invest in him. I didn't know who he was. Right. Like, okay. Because um, he fought in Japan a lot. And he's like, uh, I'm going to do all the boxing, and um, I don't have anyone from Muay Thai. I was like, well, I'll help you out, man. And he's like, yeah, man, whatever. And he's always just like, yeah, whatever, whatever. Right. So I took off my shirt, and I'm ripping down walls and got a sledgehammer, and we're moving this and moving that, and we build the ring, and we go downstairs, the basement, because it's like a 10,000 square foot, but it's like three levels. We try, you know, we do all this stuff, and then uh, Barry Yoshida shows up, I'm like, Bass Bear is a little five foot, five, <laughs> 130 pound looking, you know, Japanese guy. And uh, he's a Jits guy, and there's no mats. And I was like, um, I got those blue folding tumbling mats back at, uh, you know, and I was teaching boxing. I was teaching boxing at the Y at that time, too, you know, up for fun, you know. I always did stuff at the Y. I, I like, you know, how you do it with the dogs. Ball. Sure. I always did stuff with the Y. Right. Um, so the guy, uh, so, you know, Barry, he's not personal at all. Yeah, I've known the guy for years, and he's still not personal. <laughs> and he just kind of looked at me, I was like, I'll be right back. So I ran, got the mats, came back, and he and I rolled for three hours. Bro, I'm not going to lie. My body, my skin tone turned so red. <laughs> this dude was getting me with every kind of thing you could think of. Like, I was getting put in twisters. I didn't know what a twister was. He was hitting me with rear naked chokes that I've never even could imagine you can do a rear naked choke like that. He was, I, I, it got to the point where I lost count of how many times I was tapping, but I didn't want this guy to think that I was going to quit. 
So I just kept going and going and going and going. And there's a picture. Uh, there's a, so there's a company from Guam called uh, Fokai. And Fokai is a pretty big, uh, it, it translates means like, come on, you know, like yep. that stuff. I think, I'm not sure, but I think that's what it is. But Fokai was there and they were taking pictures because they sponsored there. And um, one of the best pictures, and I never understood, I never uh, put the two together, but one of the best pictures, he's on my back, hooks her in, and he's going like this with his hands, like we're in a choke. Yeah, he's like, he's cutting into me. And they made that into a silhouette and they put it on the back of the Undisputed shirt. And, <laughs> and I never, I just never noticed it, you know, I never saw the silhouette because I saw the picture on flyers and I'm like, oh, cool, I'm on a flyer, you know, and it got circulated right. around San Diego. So then I'd go down to Mexico and I, you know, uh, jujitsu, Bob, I don't know. You remember when I brought my guy, my black belt out here for the mm -hmm. seminar? Yep. You, I don't think you made it. I did not, no. So Bob was in town. Uh, well, I mean, Bob, he was, uh, he was uh, nine years under Dean Lester, brown belt. And then when he met Barrett, he's like, oh, I'll go with Barrett. And he finally got his black belt through Barrett. But Bob had a fight. And uh, I, I, I wanted to prove to everybody in San Diego that because I haven't had a fight yet in San Diego or in California. I, right. My last fights were in Chicago. I wanted to prove people in San Diego that I'm like, dude, you know, I, I'll, I can hang with you guys, you know. Uh, and I didn't want to be overlooked or whatever. And so Bob had an injury in his shoulder, and we were at Wayne's, and he was just like, I don't know about this, man. And I'm like, what? And he didn't tell anybody. He's like, man, I, I got surgery like four weeks ago. I'm like, what do you mean you got surgery? He's like, rotator cuff. I'm like, what the hell are you doing here? He's like, I, I can't say no to the, to the you know, I'm, I'll fight. I'm like, Bob, let me take it. And, and, and I knew that if it was a fight he would take, you know, even though he's a brown belt dude, Mr. Right. Uh, but I was like, you know, he's fighting a kickboxer. You know, the, the promoter hooked him up. Right. He's like, I can beat this guy. I'm like, Bob, just what if, it's, it's an MMA, man. Just what if he knees you in your shoulder? You're four weeks post-op, man. What are you doing? So he's like, all right. And the promoter was, you know, he told the promoter what happened. The promoter was like, wait, what? He was so concerned about his shoulder, he forgot about the fight. That's the kind of promoter he was. And he's yeah. like, well, wait a second. And then later on, he goes, well, I don't have a fight now, do I? And then I, and then Bob goes, no, this guy will do it. And he goes, well, who are you? I'm like, I'm his friend. He goes, so you're going to do it? And I'm like, yeah. He goes, well, your guy, the guy already weighed in. I'm like, I don't care. It was a welterweight fight, too. I'm like, I don't care. I weighed in at 164 anyways. <laughs> I made weight, but right. I don't know how much this guy was cutting from. So I go out there, and uh, uh, well, three, three minutes later, I won by rear naked toe. <laughs> yeah, so Barrett liked me. Right. Right away. You know, I was like, well, you choked me for three hours, man. I, right. better, I better learn. Actually, my, my, my uh, debut, though, I lost my debut to uh, – one of Manny Gambirin's cousins up in, uh, actually I did fight, I did fight, uh, fought a guy in, in uh, San Bernardino, Upland, Upland, California, I fought a, a, this one um, judo dude, Parisian's cousin, well Manny's Parisian's cousin too, so I forget his name. Uh, he was in the Ultimate Fighter, Sivak, uh, Savat, Malin? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, he choked me out real fast. We, I, I double jabbed him. I hit a one, two, and he just disappeared. I was like, what the, where did he go? And I looked down, he's grabbing my legs. I'm like, oh, man. So then we started rolling. I was like, yeah. Oh, and I, I knew his judo was just, his grappling was better than mine. Yeah. So then I like, I, if I'm going to do this MMA, and I, that was my first loss ever. All that stuff I did growing up, all the, 
weird decision I never ever lost, believe it or not. Right? Wow. My first MMA debut, I lost. And I literally freaked out. I was like, whoa. And then I was like, maybe I'm not cut out for MMA. And I'm like, wait, no, it's just another fight. Right. But it's just more of a real fight. I played, I was playing these rules fighting for so long that I forgot what it felt like just to fight. So my second fight, I just picked, dude, I picked up the guy and I slammed him. I've never slammed anybody <laughs> in my life, man. Not even on the streets, you know what I mean? And I'm 200 and no on the streets. I mean, I picked up this guy. All right, and, Nixon. And, hey, <laughs> 199 break the wrist walk away and one TKO on the streets okay so I pick up this guy man and, and I slam him and I got his legs and I pass guard and, and he rolls I get a full mount I'm raining punches he turns he gives up his back and I go to schoolyard man and it was like the coolest thing ever I was like cause I've never ever ground fighted like that like like that you know and I totally tripped out and then my second fight Apparently, I knew how to sprawl. Because <laughs> I fought wrestling. <laughs> so I was sprawling all over. I think you saw that one. I cut the guy with the knee. Yep. Yeah. So that guy was like this. He was supposed to be this brown belt uh, Baja Gracie guy. And which was weird because on the ground, he, he never did it. I didn't, I didn't get he, he had side control one time. But uh, Jason Herzog, uh, the ref for yep. Delta, he was that ref for that fight. And as soon as I. To put the knee where you couldn't pass the full mount, and I, I clamped everything down. He just stood us on my sweep. So then I just tore him up. And then, uh, so then I moved to Vegas after that fight. Right. My wife got accepted to a medical school, and she got offered, she got accepted to a few medical schools. And, uh, but she really thought hard, and she's like, you know, I'm gonna pick uh, Vegas. And I was like, why Vegas? She goes, well, it's a good school. Uh, it's, it's they're, it's a brand new school, but they're established in the East Coast. But you know, they're, they're they just built theirs. Uh, there was only two graduating classes before, her, so it's a fairly new school. Right. And it's in Vegas, and wouldn't that be perfect for you? And I was like, actually, it would. You know. And remember, we talked about the uh, fighting peak age between twenty-eight to thirty-three. Yep. There it was. They're twenty-eight to thirty-two, just having a great time. Pro boxing, I finally did my debut in, in boxing. I did Muay Thai. I was doing MMA. I, I owned a pretty big gym. I was training with Fred and Paschal and Randy Couture was down the street. Uh, one kick, Nick. You know, Anthony and Jaquani. He and I were crossfitting together and we were sparring and uh, Tyson Griffin and Ray Seff. I was going to Ray Seffel's house, eating you know KFC with him. I mean, dude, I'm like K1 legend. I mean, I looked up to this guy. Right. And he was like, Hey, man, bro, let's go over to my house and let's go eat some food. And in his house, he had like an awesome video game room, like arcade. He had arcades, you know, like that's awesome. Galaga. And I was like, Dude, this dude's awesome, man. Um, he gave me tickets to all his K1 fights whenever they were at the Bellagio. Uh, and then I, I became a, an amateur matchmaker for a show, you know, uh, and I helped Tough Enough a lot. I built, helped build them up, you know. And uh, like I said, I fought there. It was really weird. I'll never forget the day. I was at a gas station. Uh, one of the gas stations that Gina Carano's dad owns, I think it's called Rebel, Rebel Gas Stations or Ter- Terribles or whatever. They own like a chain of gas stations sure. out there. And the TV, the monitor's on, and I hear... You know, uh, Muay Thai, you know, sensationals and local uh, local fighters, you know, uh, Sean Yarbrough and, and Scotty Leffner and, and local sensation Sean DeZay. And I'm like, the hell? And I look up and there I am on this monitor and I'm like, 
And then the, this guy was point, pumping gas right next to me. He looks at the screen, and then he looks at me, and I was just like, and he's like, that's cool, man. I'm like, I guess that happens in Vegas because yeah. I, I was in shock. And then that's my funny. friends would call me up like, hey, man, I saw you up on the marquee on such and such casino. And I'm like, Plant Hollywood. I'm like, yeah, dude, this is fun stuff, man. Um, when I was doing the matchmaking, I was also the, the, the commentator for the fights. So I, I would do the Joe Rogan part of yep. it. One time I was able to get Rampage at one of our shows. And he and I called the fight together, and then during the intermission, he just knocked out Vanderlei. So yep. we were up in there, and I told I did like a cool interview with him, and then I gave him the phone and I mean the microphone, and dude, like, yeah, man. I mean, it's that was pretty. It was pretty impressive. And you know what? I it, it just felt normal. It felt good. It felt normal. I felt like okay, this is my calling: the fight business. Yep. Not just being a fighter, but being in the business, training guys, helping guys, cornering guys, fighting myself, owning a gym, you know, talking about MMA. Uh, you know, when the other day when I left the studio, Joe hit me up when we were at the lobby. I think sure. he saw us. He was like, you got like a weird mental Rolodex thing. Like, you just like kind of remember like a lot of cool. I said, yes, I do, but then I don't. You know what I mean? Like sometimes I, I get lost in, in the UFC history. But I, 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 I try to remember... I remember specific moments in a fight. Like, like I remember the, the first time when GSP actually attacked Matt Hughes' rear leg because Matt Hughes did a check, and I'm like, dude, if GSP fakes the pump and then goes to the rear leg, he'll take him down with the kick. And that's exactly what he did. He picked up the knee, he stutter step, hit the base leg, and Matt Hughes fell down, and I'm like, oh! And I was like, in my head, I'm like, I totally called that, dude. Like, you know? That's like, funny. that's the stuff I remember. And, uh, you know, and Joe Pig, he pointed out to me, he's like, yeah, man, that's good. And I'm like, yeah, but you got stats, bro. Like, he was like, yeah, he was like, I can look up stats. And I'm like, yeah, but you got to be into it to know it, you know, and you got to sure. understand that, what those stats really mean, you know, like, you know, this guy's got a 91% uh, defense takedown percentage, you know, you know, what does that mean? You know, how do you get that number? I don't know, you know, I mean, I do, but I don't right. know. Right, right. So, and then uh, med medical school's over. The match system comes out and you have to match for a residency. Sure. Residency. And, uh, oh, dude, I'll never forget, man, because I kind of knew my wife wanted to go into sports orthopedics, you know, so surgery was her thing. And I'm in bed, I'm totally passed out. She kicks the door down. She's like, babe, 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 I matched. And I knew that she was going to get ortho. There was no doubt in my mind. Sure. The first thing that came out of my mouth was, where? Right. <laughs> like, that's all, I, you know, not like, Oh, you didn't get ortho, so now you got to scramble for like internal medicine or radiology or anesthesiology. Um, and she said, Grand Rapids, Michigan. And I was like, and she just kind of whined in my response. And I go, <laughs> and I looked at her and I go, well, that's better than Detroit. <laughs> that's all I can say. And the reason why I knew it was better than, than Detroit, even though I knew nothing about Michigan, I remember my dad uh, would tell me that when he was to drive those trucks that he would go to Grand Rapids and he actually heard he loved it there. He's like, dude, Grand Rapids is nice. I think he came during the summer. Right, yeah, four months of the year. <laughs> really well, we nice. Fargo, so I don't think it was any difference yeah. winter yeah. and winter there. But um, yeah, but he, he said Grand Rapids is really nice. And so when we went there, you know, FaceTime, uh, and I showed him the house that we were buying. Yep. And he was like, beautiful home, this and that. So uh, came here in June uh, 19, 2010. And uh, July 1st, 2015. <laughs> That's my favorite part of our friendship is that you have a countdown until it's over. 
Be honest, man. Everyone that I became friends with, you know, my good friends, you and Mitch and Bud and, and, and Dan and all those guys, I never, like, it's not a surprise, you know? Like, you guys, no, 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 no. You've, like, I, I, you've known from the, I mean, yeah. you've been very good about, I've known from the word go that, yeah. that like, hey, I'll be you here know, for five years, man. Hey, we're going to be friends, but we're going to be friends for five years. Well, no, we're going to be friends past that point, but I'm like, you know, to see me on a regular basis won't happen after five years. Yeah. Yeah, you know, so. And then, uh, I remember the, when we first met at Third Law, after we rolled and everything, and, uh, I was I didn't I didn't know anything about you and uh, it was Bud Bud was probably telling me something he was like oh, yeah you know EOB I and mean, everyone kept saying I was like why well, they call me EOB like, was Eric O'Brien I'm like well that's cool I like EOB like the, the you know well, that's that's creative and then uh, and then I, I think Mitch or someone was like yeah he's on the radio I'm like well that's cool and I didn't know I. Uh, I barely listen to radio. Sure. You know? Most people don't listen to yeah. And then uh, one day... You That's know, why I'm at my house doing podcasts at this right. point. <laughs> so I'm flipping, I'm flipping through the radio station, and I, I hear you on the radio, and I'm like, yeah, it is that guy. I'm like, dude, I, you know, and I probably listened to you several times and just never knew. I mean, right. I'm sure you get that a lot. People are like, well, when you first got into it, like... If they didn't know you, and then sure. You, well, know. I mean, and that's the weird thing about radio is that most people never meet you, and then when they put yeah. you and two together, like Ken, yeah. right? Everyone, everyone knows who Ken is. Sure. Like a lot of my wife's friends at work, they're like, because when we were doing the baby shower and everything, and I was like, you know, I was sending stuff out, and I, the girl that was doing all the addresses, I was like, yeah, uh, you know, Ken Evans is his address, and she's like, Ken Evans, she's like, why does that sound so familiar? And I'm like. Uh, he's on the radio. She's like, the morning guy, right? I'm like, yeah, she, I listen to him every morning. That's funny. Wait, is he coming? I'm like, well, I don't know. That's what you do the invite. And if he shows up, great. If he doesn't, it's no big deal. And she's like, wait, wait, Ken, right? The guy on the radio. I'm like, God, <laughs> I, about this, I already knew. Right. And I'm like, right. yeah, Ken. You know? like, I hate that guy. Like, why do you? Well, you know, the bald dude. <laughs> they, they, they don't know what he looks like. They're like, right. he's bald. They have no like, idea. You know, bald there. But, but anyways, uh, but you know, I it was really cool, and and when we first did the the radio interview, and then I, I don't I'm, I don't know if I asked or you asked me to come down and do the show in, in the booth, and I just I loved it, man. I was like, oh yeah. Well, you you you, you get to talk about MMA, dude. Like, right. Well, I, and I'm sure I asked you because you just got to you know, and I tell lots of people this this story is that like I had gotten to a point in jujitsu where I, I thought. Okay, this is this is my journey, and I'm going to get purple belted this year, and then brown belted this year, and black belt this year, and then I I'm at third law, and, and these three guys, you know, I'd known Bud, but that was about it. I yeah. had no idea who you were, and you know, we started rolling, and you know, I will I'll never forget that you know that knee to the chin submission yeah. you did because I, I'd never seen anything like that, and I and it literally for as dumb of a move as that is, you know, because. You don't fall for it. I just it. did bug with it uh, two days ago. But you normally don't fall for it twice, right? You know, you, yeah. you have to lull somebody into submission to get them again. You, you know, just need it one time. Yeah, right. but I mean, like, you have to wait five years to get bud again. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, but you you have this epiphany that you're like, well, this is a guy who's learning how to actually, like, actually fight. Like, yeah. something that I could use in the streets to actually. Yeah, yeah. And, and I had this, like, I remember I came home to my wife and I'm like, I, I met this guy who, who like, knows how to fight fight <laughs> not wearing a gi not, not worrying about well no 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 but like 
you have these weird thought processes, or at least I do, when you you have a daughter, right? And you yeah. think to yourself, well, okay, now you know. You, when you get married, you go, okay, I've got to protect my wife. And then when you have a daughter, you like you ratchet that protection up to like sure. a thousand. And in my mind, anyway, you stop looking for fighting systems that are, are points karate and, and taekwondo and yeah. things like that that may not necessarily translate to a dude that you meet in the street. And so. You know, when you meet somebody like you who looks at the fighting world in a different way, and over the last hour and a half or whatever that we've talked, you can kind of see how that that animal gets built. Yeah. You know, that's that's what people should be learning. And, and you know, over the course of the last what three years that we've been friends, I, you know, I don't even think. I mean, I, I train with Ryan Hyde, and I yeah. train with you, and I train with whomever because I love jujitsu. I don't, to be honest with you, don't give a shit if I ever get a black belt ever because yeah. it doesn't mean it doesn't mean nothing to me. I just want to learn. I just want to learn that art because it fascinates. You me. want to be able to protect. I, I want to be house. able to protect my 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 family yeah. for one, and number two, I just want to roll with people that want to roll. Yeah, you know, I want to look no, at the no drama, no none of that stuff. But more importantly, I, I don't want to. Um, I have a dear friend who you know just got his blue belt, and he's been waiting forever for this stuff. And it's a huge, you know, if you're in jujitsu, that's a huge moment. You know, yeah, it separates it's you a, from. It's a huge yeah. moment, but like, I don't want to. I don't. I don't know. Like when I had that that moment at third law, I went. I don't know that I want to worry about that anymore. If if I ever get my black belt, cool. If I don't. Whatever. Yeah. You know, I just want to roll with cool people, and, and that was from that singular moment. That's where that all kind oh, of was well, that's born. That's cool, out. man. Yeah, I I remember. You know, you were. I do. I do remember. Like you, you were. Your eyes popped open. You were like, "Man, what was like? What are you doing?" I remember those were, you were like, "What are you doing?" I'm like. Well, because you you know when you grow up in a jiu-jitsu system, you have rules. You know yeah. we're we're going to practice the triangle three hundred times, and then we're going to practice you know yeah. the what they call the Brazilian triple attack. We're going to do from the triangle to the kimura into the umaplata yeah. into the you know side control into whatever we're going to go to from that point, and and you build from there, and that's awesome. But then you get to a point where you're like, what happens if I meet somebody who doesn't follow my rules? Yeah, you know, what's a knee in my jaw? What's a knee in my jaw and tries to dislocate my jaw from my head? What happens? Want to meet that guy? <laughs> you didn't have a mouthpiece on, I don't think. Well, because you get like that. That point, at that, that point, if it's head. just if it's triangles and arm bars, what do I care about yeah. mouthpieces? Because I didn't know that people were going to dislocate your jaw that day. Well, I mean, I wear a mouthpiece because when I get rear naked chuck, I bite down on my mouthpiece. And, you know, you bite down. But, on you, but like, if you're not, you know, and, and we'll wrap this up here in a second. But if you're not training it with that in mind, right? And, and I tell people when if they have the opportunity with, to train with the guys from Triumph that understand what you're doing. These these are seasoned fighters and professional individuals that will treat you with the utmost respect. But they are going to kick the shit out oh, of you. Yeah. Remember Under, when you finally did an MMA mm -hmm. session. You're like, oh man, this is it. This is where it's at, right here. And, and, and it was it was totally oh, awesome. I mean, they yeah. beat the shit out of me, but it was totally awesome because you're with guys who are going to go look. I don't. I'm not going to go easy on you. I mean, I'm not going to hurt you, yeah, yeah. but I'm not going to go easy on you because I don't know who you are. I'm going. To, this is what I'm really good at, and I'm going to, I'm going to exact that on you in whatever way I possibly can. And, and that's martial arts and jujitsu specifically, and, and MMA as an extension of that has always, for me, been 
a life lesson. I mean, that's what life does to you, yeah, it's, right? It's a life journey for sure. You know, it's, it's going, life is going to do whatever it's going to do to you, however it wants to. And it's how you respond to that adversity or strife or whatever you want to call it is what makes you an individual, yeah. right? And so when you get to be around people like that who are going to, when it's all said and done and, and you're bleeding and sweaty and whatever, they're going to shake your hand and hug you and be like, that was an awesome workout. That's, those are the people that you want to surround yourself with. Yep, yep. You know, those are the people that when Paul it, when. Paul did a couple of MMA rounds with us and he loved it, man. He flipped out. He was because like, there's, you know, there's nothing, not that I want to sell for Triumph MMA yeah. at this point, but there's, there's nothing like it in town. You know, there's nothing where you can go and meet guys who, you know, I, I remember, I don't even remember his name, but he was like from Stanford or Yale and he beat the shit out of me, you know? Um, oh, er, uh, the other Eric. Yes. Yeah. You know, he annihilated me yeah. and it was probably, the, you know, probably like the best 20 minutes. He's I a Roman Greco. Uh, yes. Yep, that's exactly who he is. Yes. <laughs> he's wrong, yeah, he's a beast, you know? <laughs> he's like 152 pounds. But, but like that's, that, yeah. you know, People who have never done this don't understand why you would want to do this, but that's who I want to roll with. Yeah. I want to roll with a dude who it will be like as close as I can get to actually wrestling a bear. Yeah, and that dude doesn't even own a jeep. <laughs> no, well, he I mean, aware, but I, back, you know, back to my original yeah. point when I, you know, when I had that moment and I knew that number one we were going to be friends, right. and number two that we should probably do something together. It's because. If I meet somebody on Wealthy Street or I meet somebody in South Chicago, they're not going to allow me to put a robe on first to fight them, right? So you've got to just be prepared. sucker punch you, man. Right. Yeah. I remember when you, the, that first smoker I did, you came down and you, uh, you know, you helped me out there. I remember your, your response. You were like, this is awesome. And I, and I didn't know. I, I, I was clueless to why you thought it was so awesome. I actually, I thought it was like... Yeah, you know, it could have been a whole lot better, but you're like, no, this is awesome, and because it was safe, mm -hmm. it was done right. Everyone had to wear protection. Yep. You were like, yep, you can't get hurt here, and, and, and you and you get a chance. To, like, what I liked about that system, and, and you know, and I know with Kevin and all this stuff, you're moving in a different direction. Right. But what I liked with that system is that you could seemingly sign up for the Triumph system, right? And go through all the Muay Thai training. And then there was going to be a, a moment where you could try all that stuff out. Yeah. And to it, a complete stranger and, or to someone you know, and it's still 100%. And it's either going to work or it's not going to work, but you're going to find out, and you're going to find out in a way that isn't dangerous to your health. Gut check time, baby. Right. Yeah, and then there's that. Yeah, it's fun, though, man. Yeah. And then we did a few other smokers, and it got really popular. And guys wanted me to take the whole K-1 kind of rules thing and go to the intersection whenever uh, Vengeance wasn't doing an MMA show, take my box ring down there and do, and I was like, nah, nah, you guys, nah, it's not going to work. I'm sorry. People here, they don't, they want, the reason why MMA works because it's raw fighting and people love it. Well, and in Michigan, in nothing Michigan. sanctioned. Yeah, nothing so sanctioned. Like, so they can get away with, with know, everything. Because like in Indiana, if you don't, whatever your record is, if you're less than five fights, you have to do what they call the, the novice division, which is no elbows at all, okay, which is normal. Sure. And knees to the body only. And then when it goes to the ground, it's only jujitsu. You can't punch at all. But that, I mean, that's that's how it should that's be. That's the way it should be. After five fights, you go to the level where you can. Sure. Which is what they, they advance. Where okay, when it goes to the ground, still no knees and no elbows, and when it goes to the ground, you can punch. You know. In Michigan, it is the unified sanction rules. <laughs> I'm right. like, what do you mean? 
do you know, check this out, I think I said it on the show, your pro debut in California is unified rules, mm-hmm. but if it's your debut, until you get five fights, your pro fights, MMA will be three minutes, not five. Until you're five fights in. So what these guys are doing in Michigan are is literally the exact same thing the pros debut guys and until their first five fights in California are going through. That's crazy. So like uh, Dillashaw and all those guys, yep. you know, do you know that they were actually putting on pro fights in their gym to get their record up to get them into the UFC, uh, the Ultimate Firehouse? I did not know that. No. Yep. So, and because it's a three minutes, because they're they're newbies right they're debuters I mean it's a win-win for them you know? sure and the uh, commission they don't care and then they're not serving alcohol all their tra- Uriah's smart he's like look I don't care how many people show up let's just put on a pro event have the commission come down here give these guys four wins we'll give them mail cans we'll put them in the ultimate fighter show they'll get a contract from the UFC and then that's where we'll make our money and now Dillashaw's fighting Barat right <laughs> I mean, when when you understand that concept, you know, and then here I am, I, I, I meet Kevin Lee, and I'm like, all right, all right, I got to do this right. You know, he was 5-0 and as an amateur. I was like, well, let me take him 10-0, and or if not more. And he was also fighting two divisions, Welter and, and, and Lightweight. So then we do our pro debut, and we go up to Montreal twice, and then we fight in Detroit, and then we fight in Indiana, and then we go to... Uh, uh, Indiana again, and then we went to Winnipeg, then we did Lansing. So now we're seven and zero, and I'm like, okay. And then finally, Joe Silva, Joe Silva called us up. Like, Here we go. This is where it's at, man. And that that debut, man. I, uh, I'm, I'm glad the kids in Vegas where he needs to be. And I told them too, because when I went to San Diego uh, back in March, I said, hey, you got a car, you got some time, whatever. I was like. Maybe you should make a trip out there and meet me in San Diego. But you need to go to Vegas and go look up a couple of my guys and go train with them and then meet me down in San Diego because I had a couple of Bellator friends sure. that were getting ready for the fight and you come down there and work with them. And he's like, all right. So he does the trip. He comes out there. And he literally, when I he was staying with me in San Diego, he was going to go back to Vegas. And he said, Sean, um, I'm not, not going to drive back to Michigan. I'm going to just stay in Vegas. He literally never went on that trip. He never came back. He stayed in Vegas. I, but I, I, you know, you know as well as anyone. I mean, as somebody who's going to leave in a year, give or take some change, that if that's what you want. Unfortunately, it's like uh, the, the time is a bit off. I, I wish we would have had the. Con- sure. I wish. Yeah, but I wish my wife's residency uh, was done a year early, or or his UFC would have came with, a, year a year later. later. Yeah, right. But. I'm not going to change that. I, I mean, you can't. You know, like you said, whatever life deals you, you know, it's how you respond to yeah. it. You know, so, and I told him, and he hit me in when I before we left San Diego. He's like, "So what do you think?" I'm like, "That's why I wanted you to come out here, because I'm not an idiot. I'm the only guy in Michigan that gives you problems. I can't mimic. If you get slated to fight Enjikwani, or or." Uh, uh, Habib or any of these other I can't mimic those guys sure or Lozon or whoever yeah, but yeah. The, the, the guy I could probably mimic boxing I can do uh, Gilbert Melendez I can I can outbox him for sure I know I can uh, 
I can probably give you like a Diego Sanchez crazy feel, whatever. I'll put you through the ringer and I'll be that last guy in that last round. I'll just go crazy on right. you. I can do that stuff, but you know, I can't be that guy. I can be your coach, you know, and I don't want to say Greg Jackson, but I can be that guy. But I need to put you in an environment where you're sparring and training with guys on a regular basis. Evan Dunham, uh, you know, uh, Graham Maynard, Dewey Cooper, you know, K1 fighter who's fighting Peter Arts here soon. You know, go to Mayweather's boxing gym and just spar the nastiest boxers you can find out there. Uh, go to One Kicks and, you know, don't get too close to some because there are some guys in your weight class in your company who right. get the same paycheck. So be careful on who you go there. I think that's the reason why he's, like, trying to stay away from one kid because uh, him and Njokwani. Njokwani was supposed to fight uh, Iaquinta. And there was a... Njokwani got hurt and Iaquinta got hurt and then Kevin got thrown in the mix. So, I was like, you know, stay away from, you know, that. <laughs> right. Because we might run into him, too. So, you know, there's all these things. And, and so I told him, I was like, yeah, you need to be in Vegas. He trades with Drysdale every day. Yep. I mean, Drysdale, good point. Guys, dude's doing flying armbars and flying triangles for tap out three years ago on those commercials. I mean, come on, dude. And dude, he's awesome. And, and until he gets things worked out, I mean, he's he'll be in the UFC as well. Yeah. 85, I think. And, uh, you know, and, and he does his sparring and, and, and boxing, you know, he spars at Couture's, you know. And, and that's actually a really good spot for him to spar at because those guys are more wrestling-based kind of dudes. And, you know, and I told him, I was like, you need to go back to your roots, which is wrestling get in the full mount and rain down pain and, and win fights, man. You know, don't try to knock people out standing up. That night, there was no subs. You know what I mean? When he yeah. got his debut. And I told him, too, I was like, dude, look who's on the card. Someone's going to get knocked out of the night. Yeah. But look who's really on the card. Who do you think is going to get subbed of the night? I was like, you have a better chance of getting subbed of the night. No one got it. Right. You know? So I was, like, I was like, uh, interesting. But, dude, it was, it was very fun. It was awesome. He loved it. I loved it. We, we went through the whole thing. We'd do it again, you know. With the same outcome, of course, we'd still do it again. You know, the kid's going to grow. I mean, they loved him. Yeah. They really did love him. And July, maybe, you thinking? We're trying to do the July. Because, you know, they're doing two shows back-to-back, yeah. right? Yeah. The fifth and sixth. So, we're really, you know, the, our manager said, yeah, it's a possibility. He, he says a good possibility. So, I was like, all right, well, let us know. But, um, yeah, I'm really, really trying. That's why I want to – my wife's in Phoenix right now, so I'm going to leave the – after I do the show, I will leave uh, this weekend. Because if we do get the call, and that gives me seven to eight weeks to yep. get his camp going. Um, so I'm going to see if we can probably do some stuff with, with Benson. I don't know if, if they're up to it. I don't know. I've never worked with those guys. The boys at the lab, I don't know how they're going to react, with, you know, if they're cool with it or not. Um, if not, I mean, uh, either I'll go up to Vegas or he can come down we can go down to uh, San Diego but definitely it'll be good to be there and get him going because I want to give him a full on you know training full eight weeks yeah well because you know the the one for February 1st you know we had New Year's and Christmas and he got engaged and there was a lot of stuff going on and uh, by the time he and he was snowed in like he couldn't get to Grand Rapids Uh, it took him like five days to get here so by the time he actually got within my hands for training you saw us we were doing that's a two in the morning yep you know uh, we were playing catch up you know and uh, yeah I mean we had injuries going that fight yeah but whatever you know but that, that I remember I only had like just barely four weeks 
you know. And and, he, and look, the weight it was a it was a good four weeks, but he had a fight in July. The training, if, if that UFC debut was in July, you know, summertime here, bro, I would have had him in a complete different mode. But it's just so hard to get somebody ready for the biggest fight in the biggest organization in the world in a Michigan winter. It's so hard. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. I, I was like, dude, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Those guys in Siberia, those dudes that fight in, in Bellator and, um, you know, uh, Shlomenko and all those, I don't know how they do it, you know? Well, I mean, it's, it's like we talked well, earlier. Well, they live in it. Yeah, we, you know, it's like we talked earlier. They're genetically designed yeah. to do that, you know? Yeah. Where Kevin's from Detroit, not from Grand Rapids. He's not genetically designed to be in 100 inches of snow. That's not what he's designed to yeah. do, you know? It's, it's weird up here, man. Yeah. And, and, I, and I'm not designed to train and, a guy. And nor are you, yeah. You know, right, I'm yeah. like, I don't know, how, you know? That's why, you know, at 2 in the morning, I'm like, you know, I would crank the heat up, and then we would leave, and we, you know, we'd do a training, like, from regular time frames. And then uh, I leave the heat on. I'm like, hey, we got to go back at two in the morning and do some more work, you know. And he's like, yeah, let's go. You know, we we do doing three a days, you know, two a days, three a days. Brutal. You know, and and it worked out really good because you know he he couldn't sleep, you know. Yeah, I mean, he still he stays up. He always stays up late. He always like, hey, you up on gas? We would attach to like three, four in the morning. And um, I'm like, dude, if you're a wire man, let's just go to the gym. Yeah. You know, you know why why sit here and think about strategies and let's just go train. So and then we were able to develop some really good combinations and techniques and what ifs this and what if that and but you know man like some of the the, the, the little things you know okay the rear naked choke's not working just slide over to pom to pom dance seven the little things like that man you know you, you tend to forget those and you can really forget those when you get rocked yeah when he got and yeah, yeah when you're coming out of that dark room you know you're just like okay. <laughs> Not too many people have been in that dark room. Yeah. So. It's not a nice place. Oh, you got a cat too, huh? We have a cat, yeah. Oh, yeah. okay, a cat. Well, cool, man. I didn't know we were 